1 Peter chapter 3 verses 8 to 18 Finally all of you be like-minded be sympathetic love one another be compassionate and humble do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult on the contrary repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing for whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. When Sharon and I were first dating, my friends and I used to frequent a nightclub in city centre Manchester called Fifth Avenue. And we loved it because it played all the cool indie guitar-based music that we liked to dance to. Sharon hated it because it played all the cool indie guitar-based music that we used to dance to. Now, nightclubs in city centre Manchester can be pretty scary places. But one really cool thing about my new girlfriend, she was a glass collector at Fifth Avenue. It was great. I'd get my name down on the guest list at the door, I'd get in for free, the security staff and the manager and the bar staff would know my name. I suddenly felt way more bold and confident in there because I was no longer just a, a random 17, I mean 18 year old, but I was in there with the owner's team. Well, we've all got those situations where we're more bold and confident than others. And today we're thinking about our next M, mission. And specifically, we're looking at how we can be bold in mission. We'll define what our mission is and then look at how and the why and how of being bold in that mission. And if you're not a Christian watching this today, if you're just exploring Jesus, I hope that this will help you to see what's important to Christians, what it is that's making us tick when we try and share Jesus with you. First then, let's define what our mission is. We're thinking this series, Church with Purpose, about what God wants us to be getting on with, what he wants us to be about as a church until Jesus returns. We're looking at five purposes that we find in the Bible that God has for us. And we've labelled each of them with an M word. And today's word is mission. So here's uh, the Bible's teaching that we're trying to summarise with this word mission. 
God is at work in the world and he wants us to join him. We are invited to participate in the greatest, most diverse, most significant cause in history, the building of his kingdom. All Christians compelled by the love of Christ are witnesses to his life, death and resurrection. In other words, our mission as church is to be joining in with what God is doing. And what God is doing is what we've been looking at the last two weeks really. God is gathering a people to himself through Jesus for his glory. So let's have a brief look to define mission. Let's have a brief look at some of the biographies of Jesus, the Gospels. First, in John's Gospel, he tells us right at the start of his biography, when John the Baptist sees Jesus, John says, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So God's plan, God's mission, is centred on Jesus, the Lamb of God, and him taking away our sin. Sin is our prideful rebellion against God. Sin scuppered the plan for us to rule creation, bearing God's good image, what we were created for, enjoying his glory. Our sin deserves our death and separation from God. But in Jesus, God has stepped into his creation to deal with the problem. In Mark's Gospel we read, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Because Jesus loved and worshipped God perfectly with his whole life, his giving up his life on the cross paid the ransom, paid the debt built up by our sin. That's the good news, the gospel. So, mission accomplished, right? Jesus has done everything needed to sort us out. Well, yes, but it's not a passive rescue. It's kind of an opt-in deal. You have to actually climb into the lifeboat. So Jesus' very first recorded words in Mark's Gospel are, The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus says in him, God's kingdom, God's rule over people and creation is breaking in in a new way. And the right response is to repent. Repent means to change our minds about what our life is all about. To turn away from living for ourselves and turn towards believing in Jesus, trusting him, relying on him taking him at his word and living with him in the driving seat of our lives. All right, so that's all good. We know God's plan. We know his mission is to take away our sins through his son, Jesus. We know that we can opt into this rescue when we repent, when we turn around, follow and believe in Jesus and enjoy eternal life, glorifying God and ruling creation with him. So what's our part in this mission, other than to believe in Jesus and turn to him in repentance? Well, let's have a look at the end of Luke's gospel. He says this, he told the disciples, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. 
repentance and forgiveness of sins through Jesus. God's mission is to be preached. So that is, that means it should, needs to be taught so that people hear, are convinced and believe. And it's to be preached to the whole world by anyone who knows about it. First the apostles and now us. We join in with God's gathering of people to himself by sharing the good news about Jesus, who he is and what he's done, calling people to repent and believe in him so that they may have life. The thing is, it can be pretty scary to share Jesus, can't it? I mean, for starters, the culture we live in is one where talking about faith is considered to be firmly in the private, that's nice for you, but don't bother me with it, category. And now as our culture and society becomes increasingly secular, it feels like it's getting scarier. The church has moved in popular view from being kind of quirky but irrelevant to being seen as dangerous and bad. What we need is a fear swap. Our next heading, a fear swap. We need to swap our fear of people with fear of God. One of the main reasons we fail to be bold in mission is because we're afraid of what people will think. I mean, it's frightening to share Jesus with our friends because it might affect or, or even end the friendship. It can be frightening to share Jesus with strangers because they might think we're weird or be really anti-God in our face. I even found myself one year thinking twice about sending a particular person a Christian Christmas card. I mean, why would I want to withhold the best news in history from someone? Fear. We need to swap our fear of people with fear of God. Swap our fear of people with fear of God. One Peter that we had read for us is a letter written to a church confused and discouraged by the persecution they were facing. And in the section we heard read, Peter's encouraging them to endure their suffering by following Jesus' example of enduring suffering. Because he was, Jesus was more concerned with what God thought than what people thought. In verses 10 and 12, Peter goes into a quote from Psalm 34 to show what fearing God looks like, turning from evil, seeking peace. You know, the kind of thing that we saw in our Proverbs series. And the verse in Psalm 34, just before Peter's quote, is, Fear the Lord, you his holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. So this is a let me teach you how to fear God thing. Fearing God, worrying about what God thinks instead of what people think. Being concerned not to disappoint God rather than people. Putting being on terms with good terms with God above being on good terms with people. The idea of Psalm 34 is that filling ourselves with fear of God will deliver us from our fear of people. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. So as we keep growing in our understanding of what pleases God, what his, pri what his priorities are, 
If we keep using that as our measure of whether things are going okay, we'll be delivered from, what, from fearing what people think. So back to 1 Peter 3, when fear of God is our outlook, any rejection or opposition we face is, verse 14, suffering for what is right, and so can be considered a blessing. It's worth it because it's going along with God's mission. So how can we build this fear of God? But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. A lot of our fear comes from fear of losing something that we value or revere. So if we revere our work or our family too much, anything that might threaten our standing in them, we'll be afraid of. If we revere our popularity or our friendships too much, we'll never let Jesus compromise them. As you invite friends and family to watch church online or to read the Bible with you, revere Christ in your hearts. As you stop flying under the radar as a Christian at work or uni or amongst friends, revere Christ in your heart. Look, I don't want to sugarcoat it. Your fears uh, of people might well be justified. You might suffer for sharing the gospel with people. But where it really matters, you are blessed as you do so. Next, we need to be prepared to give an answer. Sometimes we're less bold than we could be in mission because we think it's just not our job. I mean, surely proclaiming the gospel, getting into debates about deep theological things, that's for the experts, isn't it? Isn't that why we send people like Daniel and Steamer to Bible college? Well, Peter is writing this letter to the whole church, not just its pastors and teachers. And yes, there are people especially gifted at evangelism and teaching the Bible, but that doesn't let the rest of us off the hook. Now, does that mean we should all be going out preaching every day at work? Well, no, you'd be a right pain in the neck, wouldn't you? If you got all preachy all the time, and that'd be wrong, that's not what you're there for, it's not what you're getting paid for. But when the opportunity does arise, when the conversation turns that way, we should be ready. Verse 15. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Notice, not argue, give an answer. Give the reason for your hope in Jesus. This happened to me at my friend's wedding that I went to back in the UK. Look, it's easy for me now because as soon as someone finds out what I do for a living, it opens up the discussions to things about God. So I was having a good talk with this, talk with this bloke, explaining why I trusted in Jesus why their being suffering doesn't disprove God's existence. And I thought it was going all right. But then at one point he declared, ah, see, I've won. I wasn't aware we were having a competition, I replied. Peter isn't telling us to be a doormat and let people scoff at us just for fun. But he is telling us to be ready to tell people our own story. No one can take your story away from you. People can't tell you that you're not you. And very often they're actually really interested in why you have such a different worldview 
why you believe such a remarkable thing that Jesus was God, died and rose again. There's a great example in Luke 9, look it up later, of a blind man that Jesus heals. And the Pharisees are furious with him and furious with Jesus. But they can't argue with him. He says, all I know is that I was blind and now I can see. If you want answers, you'd better ask Jesus. In terms of being prepared, you know, we can keep reading and listening to stuff that helps us uh, reason with people. You could read The Reason for God by Tim Keller, and there's loads of other books and websites like it that address those sort of defeater objections, like about suffering and science. Apologetics, we call that. But be careful not to take it too far. You know, people need to put their trust in Jesus, not in a logical reasoned argument. The place of apologetics, of arguments like that, is to help people see the reasonableness of considering Jesus and the unreasonableness of unbelief. Apologetics are part of doing your best to get a hearing. Our next heading, doing your best to get a hearing. You know what drives me mad on the telly? Commercials where it's obviously being made as a sort of generic international one for dubbing over locally. So it's usually international brands like Gillette or L'Oreal. And I'm always like, no, I'm never buying your products because you didn't think little old Australia or the English language was worth you making its own ad. You've shown me no respect, I'm not buying it. Well, you're gonna misrepresent Jesus and you're likely to get Jesus a hearing if you present him badly. So when we do get the chance to give answers, we must do so, verse 15, with gentleness and respect. So the way we do our church services, trying to explain things as we go, keeping things in plain English, that's because we want the only barrier, the only thing that might offend to be the gospel. And it should be the same with our conversations, be it in person or online on social media. We should be so gentle and respectful, conduct ourselves so well, that whatever bad things people say about us is not true, it's slander. But I mean, how? How can we say, stay gentle and respectful in the face of people sometimes just being plain nasty? That word respect it's actually literally fear again. So we need to conduct ourselves with fear. Not fear of people, but fear of God. Thinking about what he thinks of the way we're talking. It's helpful to bear in mind that people can't help but be malicious and slanderous. Have a look with me at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Everyone is personally responsible for how they respond to Jesus. But Satan has made it impossible to get the gospel, to understand it, without God's intervention. Verse 6. For God, who said, let light shine out of the darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. 
God can make something out of nothing. God can bring light to the darkest, most opposed heart. So does that mean we have no part to play? Well, no, if we look at the connecting verse, verse 5. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. So because God does the converting, and he chooses to do so relationally through us, we're able to proclaim Christ. We can be bold in mission because it's God's message, not our own. We can be confident that God will, however unlikely it seems to us, bring it home to people's hearts. And we can take comfort that when people reject Jesus, that's just the normal default in the world without God's intervention. Another conversation I had at that wedding. Uh, there was a bloke at the, near the end um, and he said to me, look, I'd just love to have 20 minutes with you. I could set you straight on all this Jesus nonsense so you can get on with your life. I said, well, how? And he muttered something about particle physics and science. I explained how all the pattern and orderliness of science points me to God rather than turns me away from him. And tried to do that gently and respectfully. But underneath I was thinking, how patronising. You reckon you can change my reason for being in 20 minutes? He basically thought I must be unintelligent or uneducated to have faith. To put up with people thinking like that about us, to put up with being marginalised, being accused of things we're not, like being hateful or bigoted. Well, we need to know that suffering like this isn't always a bad thing. And we know this because of the example and the message of Jesus. Our last section, the example and the message of Jesus. For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. Jesus' example for us is going the way of suffering for the sake of saving other people. So we're bold in mission, putting our reputation, our relationships on the line so that others might be saved. And the message they need to hear is summed up in verse 18, a great verse to remember if you can, to memorise, that Jesus the Christ, God's chosen warrior king who rescues his people, has voluntarily swapped his perfect record for ours to bring us to God. Now resurrected and ruling over everything and everyone. Everyone needs to know and believe that. That is our mission. And this is our mission because of what is at stake. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. The most urgent need of any human is to be saved from the wrath of God. To be saved from God's right and good, settled opposition to sin. Because sin is dark, destructive, wrong, and hateful. People might get upset with you for sharing the gospel with them, but they're going to be more upset on the last day if they have to stand before God on their own merits and not Jesus. To sum up then, God's mission 
is gathering to himself a people through repentance and faith in Jesus. And through us, his church, gathering together and going out to share that good news. That's how God is fulfilling that mission in the here and now. So we can be more bold by being more concerned with what God thinks than by what people think. And we can be bold knowing that it's our own real story, not a clever argument, that we need to be ready to share, ready to explain. And we can be bold knowing it's a good blessing to suffer for God in fulfilling his mission. If this call to be bold in mission leaves you feeling guilty or inadequate about how timid and frightened you've been. Well, just remember who's writing this. Peter, Jesus' right-hand man, his closest confidant, who when the going got tough, got going. Who flatly, aggressively denied even knowing Jesus, and not just once, but three times. He'd have had to have been thinking about that when he wrote these words, wouldn't he? Peter knew what it was not to be bold in the worst way. And yet he would go on to be one of the boldest of the disciples and reckons that we, by God's grace, we can be bold in mission too.